disappearance the nba trades podcast is back with a new episode and i have a special guest it is my bro anthony ac spotlight 95 anthony what's up how you doing i'm good happy to have you back on your own podcast it's been a while man happy nba trades is back up and running let's let's get this party started (laughs) well uh i don't know if it's a party necessarily but it's always a party um okay well, I guess I'll keep it going. Uh, so, I guess we'll start off with the first topic, Anthony Davis. That mm-hmm. story by Woj came out yesterday about, it's sort of, I call it the unofficial official, you're on the clock now, trade demands from the player. And it's sort of in a weird way, like it feels like this happens with almost every player, where a reporter does a big story on them and sort of like, oh, it's been struggles through the season, and they haven't really figured out how they're going to play, or if this guy, like, building around this superstar, we've seen it with everybody from LeBron to Paul George to, you know, Anthony Davis now, and it's sort of funny because it's sort of like, the it's like everyone now is aware, okay so-and-so team is on the clock and if they don't figure it out it's gonna be a hot mess and i'm interested to see what happens with anthony davis this in the next coming years if the pelicans are able to hold on to him obviously they have to show that they have a good roster intact when he becomes a free agent or when he's nearing his free agency but it's going to be a very difficult decision if they have to trade him because obviously Anthony Davis is one of the premier talents in the NBA. What do you think? Well, I think the interesting thing about it is he's, he's, he has a player option for the 21-22 season. So you kind of have to think about, hmm, what are we, what are we, actually I should say the 2021 season, excuse me. And uh, what I wonder is, are they going to wait till maybe next year? Like, I feel like if DeMarcus decides to resign with them, let's say that happens, then you could say maybe there's a better chance of him staying because at least you still have... Because I think to this point that we've seen, that the two of them can coexist together, and they've actually been pretty... They've played pretty well. Anthony Davis be hurt again this season and miss a miss a certain amount of games, and then of course, as you alluded to, the roster around them not being, you know, very good. Not a lot of not a lot of talent on that team. So I I think that's an issue, and it's going to be interesting to see whether Anthony Davis looks at what all of these other guys have done in the past and probably wants to preemptively be like, let me get out of here before I get stuck in a situation where um, I'm going to be playing for a team that has no chance to contend for a title. And then I think, you know, fans are just as responsible for these guys having that type of mentality because, like, the, the whole rings conversation has kind of uh, polluted the air for players in the sense that they always feel like they want to escape that criticism that 
they don't want to be like Carmelo and Chris Paul who always have to hear about either not making the conference finals or not being in the conversation of uh, being a championship contender. So, you know, he's going to have to weigh those decisions uh, going forward. But I want to see first what happens with DeMarcus because he's a free agent after the season. So whether they keep him or not could go a long way onto whether they trade. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it it's up in the air. I think a lot of DeMarcus's situation depends on how well the team does this year. And if he if obviously any of the teams that, you know, next this upcoming summer are are good enough and you know, right now the Pelicans are 26 in defensive rating. Uh so it's uh, things are not going... Surprisingly, the the defense has been a bigger problem than people initially expected and what they what issues they went through when Cousins was traded last year at the deadline to to New Orleans, they struggled offensively to, you know, fit the, both of them. And uh, they're playing pretty well right now. They're eighth in, in offensive rating. So they're sort of just a middle-of-the-road team. They have a legit shot at the playoffs. Uh, do you think that just hinge on making the playoffs? Or do you think that, it you know, like a lot of players nowadays, you know, Gordon Hayward left Boston. I mean, left Utah for Boston made the second round and that wasn't good enough and and so I think that there's a lot more pressure that just getting to the playoffs really doesn't uh change anything or changes yeah I think you know that's an interesting question because I wonder if does that matter because I wonder what ownership is thinking as far as first like the head coach and the GM did a good job um it with the, and it's so like hard to actually really analyze uh, both of those guys. You could say Dell Demps has done a poor job for sure. Gentry has kind of like been, you know, whether you want to call him a good coach or not, uh, he's been saddled with a roster that, you know, has not been able to, it's just not good enough. So that's the, that's the thing that you have to weigh is you know that a team is not, clearly not good enough to contend. I think maybe that'll convince him to stay, especially because DeMarcus has never made the playoffs. So that, that him getting a taste of the playoffs would be interesting to see and maybe change his mind or maybe put his mind in a, in a more positive state. But with everything you hear about the medical staff, with everything you hear about all their issues that they've had in the past couple of seasons, and even Anthony Davis, all this murmuring and the stuff, that, and the fact that he's even started to say something, uh, would lead you to believe that this is headed down the wrong path. So odds are it probably is probably not going to matter anyway. And that's the thing that West, uh, the bottom of the West, is so open right now with all of the injuries. So I guess it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So I, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if they're gonna if they're going to necessarily uh, do anything after the season either. I think they may just try and hold things over with Anthony Davis, pending, of course, uh, what happens with DeMarcus, which, you, you, you know, we could end up going back to that same conversation. So as far as the playoffs are concerned, whether they make it or not, I, I you know, I, I wonder if that's, if that's actually going to matter. I agree. I think also, you know, the Boston being mentioned in the story says a lot because everyone has sort of said Andy Davis is the next big superstar that Boston is going to pursue. 
in a trade or you know if if he were to be a free agent what do you think about Andy Davis and all of the young talent that the Celtics have obviously they've been great this year early on the the best record in the east so far um you know that that'd be crazy right I mean, it'd be a great combination, Kyrie and Anthony Davis. You could talk about that on its own, uh, plus Al Horford. Uh, that'd be one hell of a front court. You have Al Horford being able to uh, be as versatile as he is, and what a really good all-around player that he's become. And Anthony Davis as a combination, that'd be a pretty, pretty tremendous when you think about it. Um, what they would probably have to do is, I would assume, if there would be any type of trade, one of one of uh, Brown and Tatum probably would have to be included in the deal. Plus, I'm sure one of their one of their uh, upcoming first rounders. And hmm, that's what makes that's what makes it interesting. And this is where, as a as a general manager, do they want does ownership want Dell Demps making that trade? That that's another thing that's going to be in, that's going to be in flux whether. Del Demps is going to keep his job. Like we don't, we may not know who the actual general manager is going to be by the time that they do have to make that trade. So that's like another variable that you could throw into the mix. But as far as like Boston is concerned, that would be a hell of a mix, and that would definitely put them in the conversation. Like legitimately, as much as the Celtics have played well this year, uh, still with the best record in the East to this point, you could still be like LeBron still owns this until proven otherwise. But Anthony Davis could definitely uh, make that different as LeBron uh, continues to get older. So I know Boston has been heavily been in on almost like every player that you could think of in terms of if that guy's going to get traded, where is he most likely to end up? Because they always have the most assets and the most things to give up. So if they were able to do that trade, that would be a huge coup for them. Word. So I guess we'll we'll move on to a, a another topic. So I guess we'll we'll start looking into how trades that happen in the off season, how they're working out, how the teams are doing. So we've hit like you know teams are at about the thirty game mark, um, and one of the teams that you know made a big swing in the draft was Minnesota. They acquired Jimmy Butler at the draft for uh, the draft picks. Um, Laurie Markkinen was involved. He was uh, Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and so you know the Jimmy Butler experiment with Minnesota has generally been okay. It's worked, and he's been pretty good, pretty solid for them. But I feel like a lot of people still have this feeling that Minnesota is not really living up to expectations. And over probably like the past eight to ten games, they've sort of just traded win for loss in a lot of close games. You know, they lost the Philadelphia game at home in overtime. They lost the Phoenix. They've beaten um, who they beat? They beat who they beat recently? They beat they beat Portland, Portland in, in that close game, game where the foul call where they said that uh, where Lillard complained at the end, yeah, yeah uh, about the 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 free throw uh, disparity. And so they've won some close games, and and they've they've been in a lot of close games, uh, but they they just have been sort of shaky. Obviously, their offense has been great. Their top five, sort of like when you think of New Orleans, how I mentioned that 
they're top five. They're fifth in offensive efficiency, but they're 25th in defensive efficiency, which mm-hmm. totally doesn't represent what a Tom Thibodeau team is. It's like a, a flip side team. And, you know, the, he's been criticized as head coach for his, his rotations this year. The minutes are very a very big gap in minutes between the five starters and the rest of the roster, the the bench. And a lot of people wonder, can this team sort of survive playing so many minutes? And it, But in a lot of ways, that's sort of what's kept them going. All of their starters have a positive net rating. Moments where they look really good, but then they have moments where they just cannot get anything right. And I think the, the watershed moment was that Philadelphia game where... I, uh, Carl Anthony Towns' defense was really bad. Uh, he let Ben Simmons slip in two or three baskets in that game from that. Uh, he's had his struggles on defense. Specifically, going to be something that necessarily will improve. Um, what's interesting is their offense is not necessarily a problem. Um, I look at the shot distribution between uh, Butler, Wiggins, and Towns, and it's pretty even. So they and of course you you mentioned that they're fifth in offensive rating, so they don't have an issue there. I guess it's just maybe they need maybe this team needs some time. I I, I don't know. I don't feel like, I feel like the Timberwolves kind of are where they're supposed to be at this moment, being necessarily better this year. Because I think what happens is with expectations and how of what the Timberwolves should be like last year. They expected the Timberwolves to be a playoff team, and they clearly weren't a playoff team. This year, uh, people expect them to be a contender, and I expect them this year to be a playoff team. So if you, so if like you see, they're like everybody's like kind of like a year ahead. So I, I would say next year, given some time together with these these guys and having a season together. Then you would have maybe a little bit more of an expectation that okay, that maybe you would think that okay, they can they can uh, maybe have a better chance to contend to go a little deeper in the playoffs next year. As far as this year is concerned, I think they should, them. I think they're fine. I don't. I don't think it's like that big of a deal that they are where they are right now. I think it's fair to say that Tibbs could do some things that are issues in terms of minutes and, and rotations and I, I talked later very well this year but still it's like they may be better overall with Towns just playing center most of the time and you wonder whether that's going to happen going forward so you know I'm not sure about whether that's what they're going to do but if you had to ask me I think they're alright I, I Everything that I've seen from this, them this year is not a surprise, and I thought I think Jimmy Butler's been really good this season for the most part. Uh, I think he's brought a, a very calming presence. He's brought a veteran presence to this team, and I think they're in good shape. Are they in good shape to be a playoff team? And depending on the matchup, maybe win around and gain some valuable experience for next season. But I mean, to expect them to contend this year is just—it's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. It's just not. It's just not. As the fourth seed, well, yeah, because either way, even if they win their first round matchup. That's what I'm saying. You could win the first round, and that's fine. And then you play Warriors or Rockets. and But I think the issue is, 
it's hard to just be like when there's so much roster turnover in the in the league now. It's so hard to camaraderie that one would expect of the like a team like the Rockets. I know they brought in Chris Paul, but you know they they they're in the second year of Eric Gordon. They had Ariza there for a couple seasons. And Ryan Anderson is in the second season. So there's been some there's been some build up. And obviously the Warriors have build up. San Antonio have they have a roster that's kind of been together for a couple of years. Cleveland, at least for the most part, they, they I know they've done some turnover, but they've had a roster for the most part that's been together for a couple of years. So when you have that continuity, it's a lot easier to compete and it's a lot easier to go out in the season and be consistent. I can under I can see why the Timberwolves are not consistent. They changed their point guard. They changed their uh, they changed Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler. That's a huge adjustment. Carl Towns has had to take a step back in terms of his usage. So has Andrew Wiggins. So all of those things you got to put them all together and take those things into consideration. So that's why I, like I'm not. I think the Timberwolves are fine. They're they're fine with where they are right now, and. Uh, I want to see how this team grows uh, throughout the regular season, and hopefully they win around, and that would be that would be fun to see. And yeah. then we'll see how they progress. Yeah, I guess the one thing is probably the pressure of like the contracts, you know, because Butler is in, uh, you know, is is due for an extension eventually, or rec- or he's going to be a free agent. Um, Think next year, right? Yeah, and Carl Anthony Towns is a a contract extension from his rookie contract. So it sort of puts you in a position where if they're spending, you know, for the three of them, you know, making a lot of money, and then they're sort of forced to figure out how they're going to put their bench together, you know, their rotations and, and, and the the backup players. about Alonzo uh, Ball already writing him off after a couple months? It's just, and I know Towns has had a little more time. He's had a couple years. And they're just writing him off defensively when it's just... It's hard to, for me to be like at 21 or 22 years old and say a guy is this and can't and, and he's just gonna be this. So I know as you said the contract thing is important, but you can't you can't I mean you it's hard to deny that Towns is a really really good still a really good prospect and uh, somebody who you would want to build your franchise around. One would think. Yeah, I I mean that's the thing is that it's he's a a really good player. Um, obviously, you see like the numbers and what he's able to produce, and also just his skill set. He could shoot threes. He's one of the better. He's probably their best shooter on their team, mm-hmm. and he's a really good rebounder and he can score in the post. It really does take time before you understand it, and it also just depends on the player. Some players get it right away. You sort of need to be... There's more expected of you than if you're just a wing defender. And there's more value because of their ability to protect the rim or affect shots at the rim. So it is sort of... It is important. And, you know, to, or out of every player, there are, everyone has their flaws. Um, okay, so do you think that a team... Do you think that the Bulls uh, front office is thinking, how can we just uh, get someone injured so that we could lose some games? <laughs> it's funny. I, I, I want. I wonder if they're actually thinking that. But I, but it's going to be funny. What's going to happen when Zach Levine comes back and he and, and what if he actually is playing well? Which would not be that huge of a leap to think that Zach Levine, uh, you know, given some time coming off of the ACL, that 
once he gets uh, his feet under him, he begins to play well, and then this kind of continues. Because I know they're they're 30th in offense, and they're um, they're actually 18th in defense, which is you know surprising considering who's on the who's on the roster. But um, but yeah, I it's like I haven't seen enough of them. The only game that I really paid attention to was when they beat the Knicks a couple of uh, weeks ago. I think it was a Saturday night they beat the Knicks. Yeah. They beat them when they yeah they had that lead and the Knicks came back and then uh and then they and then they were but uh they, oh that's right they got fouled at the end and they hit a couple of free throws to to win the game but um yeah it'd be funny if they got into a situation I mean they're playing Orlando tonight so they could they could win that game they're at home against Orlando so it's clearly possible that they could be looking at seven in a row and it's not like it's not like everybody in the East um. Especially because Atlanta is so bad that this could definitely change their uh, draft. Now, now there's still so much season left that this could easily go the other way. But they've they've kind of shown themselves to be a little competent the last couple of weeks. So that's going to be fun to watch if they continue if they continue that along those lines, which I'm sure should, which I'm sure ownership probably and uh, and the organization probably didn't want to see. To this point, because they need them, they need more. They need another infusion of young talent on the team. But that'll be fun to see when Zach Levine comes back. What this is going to look like. Yeah, in the month of December, they're seventh in defensive rating and thirteenth in offensive rating. So they're they've proved themselves very capable uh, over the past, you know, two or three, two weeks, two ish weeks. So it, I mean, who knows what could happen, especially with their schedule if they keep winning games. You know, it could make the the East even more complicated because there are several teams, you know, pretty much from the fourth seed down to, you know, past eight, you know, eleven, twelve. There are a lot of teams competing for for playoff spots in the East who are hovering from two games under five hundred to you know two or three games over. So. It's. It looks like it's gonna be like last year. How complicated, you know, it was with Indiana, Miami, and Chicago. Actually, those three teams were the ones competing for that last playoffs or the last two playoff spots. And so, and and I think uh, Detroit was also pretty much in the race until the last like four or five games. So, you know, it, it's it's gonna be complicated. I think again this year, depending on obviously like the Knicks and their. Uh, you know, schedule, which I think is a good segue. The New York Knicks, they uh-huh. have, uh, you know, they were they made a big trade right before the uh, right before media day uh, and training camp started. They traded Carmelo Anthony and got back Ennis Canner, Doug McDermott, and a I think it was a second round pick. And you know, a lot of people have talked about the Knicks, how impressive Kristaps Porzingis has been this year. And how the Knicks are better off without Mello, Iso Mello, Mello Ball. And they beat the Thunder, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't know. But they beat the Thunder on Saturday and in Carmelo's return to Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have been impressive. They won, I think, four in a row before losing to the Charlotte Hornets in a very bad road loss. So the Hornets team that has been struggling this year. I mean the Knicks are a interesting team because they have they've had a really good favorable schedule. They've had a a a huge amount of home games and have not played on the road too much. 
their strength of schedule in, in regards to like home and road has been pretty soft and pretty nice. Uh, they will have a very tough stretch in January where they play most of their games on the road, so it definitely is going to even out. Uh, like eventually, everything evens out. You play forty-one at home, forty-one at road at the end of the year, and you know it's tough to really get a gauge for this team because I think a lot of people have also brought up how the past two years they've sort of been at at the twenty-five to thirty game mark have been okay. They've been a 500 team. I think uh, two years ago they were three games over 500 last year, and then everything just completely fell apart uh, after 30, 35 games, and the Knicks ended up losing 50 games. I think one year losing. I did them. Maybe they lost 50 games both years, but they ended up being really bad after. Uh, what do you think about this team? Do you think this team is following down the same path as as the previous two years? And what maybe what has surprised you about this team maybe compared to the other teams? I would say the one thing that surprises me more than anything else is that they're eleventh in offense. Uh, I thought, especially if you watched the first three games, how bad they were at the start, and then they changed. Uh, they put Jared Jack as a starting point. Jared Jack being effective in, in 2017 is still something that I'm still trying to get adjusted to. <laughs> and it's and it's uh, still it's still funny because he's been really he's actually been pretty good. He's uh, he's obviously a, a, a turnstile for the most part defensively, but he's gotten the team in good position and he's run the team well. So I got to give him that. Um, they and I'm and I'm surprised that Ennis Cantor, even with some of his injuries as of late, that he's played as well as he has. I think that's been a huge part of it. Um, I'm also surprised at the fact that Porzingis has missed some time, and I know they're like I think they're one and six without him, and but still they've been able to manage the time that he's even with the time that he's missed and the time that he's been on the court for the most part. They've been a you know they've been a solid team. They're not. You know they're not a, they're not a pushover. For the most part, they've been really competitive. So I think from that per- perspective, that you have to be surprised. And the fact that they're not at the bottom uh, defensively, they're actually 16th. That's a surprise too, considering the fact that they do play Cantor at center, and the fact that they have four centers. And Hornacek, to his credit, has not played Noah because obviously at this point Noah's not really an effective uh, NBA player. And the fact that he's been able to do that, and even, you know, uh, unfortunately, Hernan Gomez has kind of been out of the rotation for the most part this season. Uh, Kyle Quinn has been uh, more effective uh, coming off the bench. And uh, Frank Nielakina, uh you know, he has his warts here and there. He could be a little bit more aggressive on offense, but he's shown in uh bits and spurts that he you know there's something there i'm not sure if it's something substantial yet but there are he's shown flashes so you like to see uh somebody that they put a lot of stock in in the draft which is weird because phil jackson was the one who put a lot of stock in him and he's not here anymore but the fact that uh neil akina has contributed to the knicks uh to some of the knicks more impressive wins on the season uh, has been really good, and uh, you want to see if KP can stay healthy throughout the season. That's going to be important. Uh, Tim Hardaway, before he got hurt, has been a pleasant surprise in terms of how he's played after the first three games. And 
you know, despite the home-heavy schedule, I'll say this. I am surprised that overall they found a way to be to be 16 and 14 after 30 games. It is a significant uh, positive for them. They've been able to win some games that they shouldn't have won. They've had some really interesting fourth-quarter comebacks at the Garden, uh, coming back against Indiana, coming back against Charlotte, uh, coming back against Denver after blowing a big lead uh, when Denver still had Millsap in the lineup. So they've had some really good performances at home. Uh, they haven't. They clearly have not been good on the road. And, I mean, you've heard this enough from me off the off the record that I think <laughs> that this is starting. I would say tomorrow with this Boston game, uh, that this stretch that's that's coming up for them. All of those those things considered, if the Knicks were five games within five hundred by the All Star break, I would say this. I would be impressed. I would be impressed if they were. Knicks fans love Ennis Canner, and I think it's because he provides effort and he, you know, rebounds and he does a lot and he can score in the paint and so he brings sort of a traditional old school type of way of playing. But obviously, when you look at his stats, he has like a negative net rating. He gets outscored a lot, and we all know he's a, not a good defensive center. He's not a rim protector, so that's also a problem. But mm-hmm. it's it's you know he in a weird way a lot of people like him and so I sort of changed like even if he if necessarily they don't play well when he's on the court or he sits a lot of fourth quarters, you know depending on who they play. It's tough because I feel like there's a weird like uh, bonds between him and like the Knicks like things are positive, and then O'Quinn has been their best player net rating wise. You know, he's been really solid. He's a solid... But he probably has the most value of any other guys because he's on a good contract. Um, and... Or I, th- I think he has an option after this year. But, you know, it's just... He has the best value, but it makes it tough because he's probably their most important player. And it'd be different if they were, you know, 10 games under five hundred at this point where you would say, oh, then you should trade him because you're not competing for a playoff spot. But right now, as they compete for a playoff spot, it makes it a lot harder to trade him. Hernan Gomez, they feel like, you know, he's young and that he'll develop. I don't know. It's sort of like, uh, I'm not sure if he really is as good as people think. I think he's a a good offensive player. He's a good rebounder, but his defense is lacking. So it's going to be really hard to see him get consistent minutes, especially after the way that it's gone. And Noah is just an untradeable contract. So... It's just, you know, you have to hope or you'd have to attach a first-round pick to get rid of him. And I don't think at this point, after the Knicks have given up so many first-round picks over the past 15 years, I don't think that this front office wants to take that route with getting rid of a player. I mean, they could always uh, stretch him, stretch and wave him, but, you know, you don't want that that long-term salary on your books for, like, five or six years, so... It's complicated. I think it's just all four of them are in weird positions where it's like, you know, they value Hernan Gomez, Noah's untradeable, Kyle Quinn is what he is, he's good, and Canner is, in a weird way, you know, become a Knicks, a major attraction for the team. It's it's really hard. But it's hard because also uh, Chris Porzingis should play center. Yeah. And you've seen them do that in a lot of games where he plays center in the fourth quarter. 
win the games at the end. When they played the Lakers in that overtime win, he played center. So, you know, it's it's just it's not it's hard. Right, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. The reason I'm I'm saying these numbers right now is I'm looking at the end of their schedule, like from uh, February twenty fourth on. They yeah. play thirteen of their last twenty two at home. Um, so they will have played really the majority of their road games by like fe- uh, February twenty second. They're gonna play like it's such a it's such a disparity. Just looking at uh, till the end of February, what it's gonna look like for them uh, is. It's it's really daunting when you think about what their schedule is going to be. So, you know, in terms of playoffs, uh, if they survive, if they were a- if they were ever able to get to the All Star break, like right around the playoffs, if they're like right there, then I would say they have a, they would have a decent, decent shot at it. And to your point, I think um, finding a way to put finding a way to play more uh, KP at center and. Uh, those lineups with KP at center and Lance at the four have been really effective uh, down the stretch of games that they've been able to use them, uh, specifically uh, in games that they've, they've had to come back in. And if there were anything to worry about in particular, I know that their their defense uh, has been pretty decent for the most part, but I think they allow the most three-point attempts in the league, and that's something that probably has to change if if you're going to expect uh, something significant from them going forward. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens with them. But uh, so far, so good. It's hard to really complain when you didn't really expect much from this team to start the season. I know. Definitely after 0-3, I was like, they're going to lose 16 games. 0-3 and not looking competitive. Yeah, I thought they were going to lose 16 Because the Boston game was the one that really looked bad. Like, they did not look like they were even trying. And you know what? That might be one of those situations where that's just a bad matchup for them because the team with multiple wings that could defend and uh, a couple of different guys that they could throw at Porzingis and and uh, a point guard that you can't even hope to guard that that's like their that's their kryptonite for sure. Those are the things that they can't handle. And like that, I, you know, the elite teams in the league are more likely than not are going to give them a lot of problems. Like specifically, uh, Boston, Houston, you know, teams like that who have been able to, you know, just have versatile players that are able to play multiple positions and have the length to defend Porzingis a little bit and uh, are able to exploit a lot of the Knicks' uh, weaknesses at uh, at uh, point guard and center defensively. So I guess this would be like a good final topic or something to else to to touch on, you know. Since it was one of the bigger things, I know you're a big fan, or I don't know if you are still, but um, <laughs> Kobe Bryant he got his jersey retired. Yeah. Uh, eight and twenty four. Uh, two days ago. It's pretty and, impressive. And I know uh, us growing up, you were a humongous Kobe fan. And you had his, you had number eight. I don't know if you ever had number twenty four. Did you have his number twenty four jersey? Uh yes, I think I yeah, I think I did. Yeah, I think I do. I do. I do. I I have to find the jersey. It's somewhere. But um, I do have a twenty four. Yeah, it was a it was a gold twenty four. Oh, so you had both. Yeah, eight and twenty four. Okay. Yeah, I had the eight in black. Yeah, I remember the, that jersey. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I had the eight and before black they actually did start wearing black. Um, 
Yeah, so, it, you know, the Lakers are in a really interesting position, and I guess I'd start off first by asking you, how did uh-huh. it feel to see him? I know you probably just ended up watching it, uh, you know, online or whatever, but what did you think about him getting his retirement and and Kobe as a person, player, I don't know, from your time as, you know, a fan of him? You weren't really a fan of the Lakers, but you were a fan of Kobe. Okay, I don't want to make this, like, too serious of a thing, but I... <laughs> But, I'm wondering um, where this is going. No, well, the reason why I say that is, be, and, and uh, Tom Ziller uh, addressed this today, because I, I know they had the Isaiah Magic uh, uh, little reunion thing on NBA TV last night, and and I know like it was a very emotional moment for the two, just seeing a couple of the clips. I'd like to see the whole thing, but... You know, behind that, behind all that, you still have Isaiah Thomas, who has, you know, uh, a sordid history of a lot of different types of issues that, you know, I don't want to go deep into, but obviously, we tend to not consider them, yet he's still a prominent person in TV and and uh, me- and uh, media and stuff like that. And when I was younger, like, I just didn't care about the whole Kobe uh, Colorado situation in 2004. It's just like, it doesn't matter, whatever, whatever, I just care about the basketball. So now as time goes on, and you get older, and you kind of see like a lot of the stuff that's happening in, in present day life in Hollywood, and, and basically in all forms of life, and uh, when it comes to misogyny and stuff like that, like I hack, I hack and be like, hmm, yeah, I appreciate, like, the player. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I loved everything that Kobe did from a player standpoint, and he was one of the more interesting basketball players to watch. And, you know, even with those last couple of seasons being as tough as they were to stomach with, you know, his injury and trying to come back, and then, of course, that last farewell season, which was really tough to watch because it just, like, it was, it, was, it was really, really difficult from the standpoint of seeing how uh, diminished he was. And that part was tough, but if I want to think about it from a moral standpoint, like if I wanted to be like really honest about it, it's like you have to kind of look at the way that he's celebrated so much, and it's like you have to juxtapose yourself with the, I want to give somebody a second chance in terms of what they do, but then at the same time, it's like, man, he's being so celebrated, yet he did something that was, like, in a lot of circles, it's just, like, really not good. So, it, like, as time has gone on, like, my, my thinking on this has been, you know, not necessarily that my thinking has changed, but I've been forced to think about it as I've gotten older and I've become more self-aware. So that's where, like, for me, it's like, okay, cool, he got his jersey retired and and um, it was nice to see, you know. Obviously, they had a lot of different types of tributes, and a lot of the, a lot of the uh, Hall of Famers were at the Staples Center that night. Um, it was cool to see him uh, dap up by Allen Iverson, and obviously Shaq, Bill Russell. A lot of different guys were there, and it was cool to see him celebrated. But I guess I don't have the same fanaticism uh, that I had for him uh, before, and. Yeah, it's not just the it's not just the moral stuff. It's just the realistic of like those last couple of seasons were really bad. And he probably should have and he and he should and he shouldn't have stayed as long as he did. Um, 
And besides that 60-point game, the rest of that season was just so awful, and I thought he undercut the development of that team. It kind of messed them up in a way, but I know part of it is also on the Lakers too because they wanted to make this. They wanted to make money off of his uh, of his last season, so and they were able to successfully do that. So that's a part of it as well. So it's not completely his fault, but at the same time, it's like, eh, damn. It's like it's like I really do wonder. Like, yeah, of course, as a fan, I'm always gonna like enjoy those Kobe moments. I'll always be on YouTube looking at his 2003 season, his 2006 season, where which were my two personal favorites. Um, well, he was just at his peak at uh, athletically um, in terms of scoring and being able to just the way he would hoist three pointers and just make them make them so effortlessly um, hitting shots against uh, multiple defenders and stuff like that. He had some obviously great playoff moments in the future with and without Shaq, and so all of those things considered, all of those things great. But then I also realized I watch the basketball that I watch now, and it's so much better than the basketball that he played in a lot of different ways. <laughs> so it's like there's so much. It's like you know you, you you evolve and stuff, and all of those things change. So I feel like I'm in a different spot with Kobe than I used to be. Which I, which like I think about it now as I say, it, and I say, wow, I can't believe that I actually ended up here. Saying it is like. I would have never said this stuff uh, ten years ago, but you know, here we are. I know I'm shocked you 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 didn't turn out to be that guy on Twitter who was defending Kobe at every chance. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, like it's a lot of the stuff is hard to defend. Like one the one thing that I think LeBron has taught a lot of people is like in your face, demean your teammates, uh, yell, 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 take every shot. Like it doesn't have to be that way, and I think. You know, the, I mean, and LeBron obviously, you know, people can say that he has his warts as well, but it's a great example of two different types of leadership. Not everybody has to be uh, that Kobe, Michael Jordan type of way. It just doesn't have to be that way. You can be, you can lead a different type of way, and I think that's what's beautiful about sports is there are different types of personalities that you know can have success. It doesn't have to necessarily be one way. So when you hear the guys, you know, pundits be like, well, he doesn't have killer instinct. It's like, yeah, what, is, what really is that? What, what, killer instinct? Nah, it's just one dude is like really good. It's just a video and he's just, game. Be, he's just better than everybody else. <laughs> and that's more what it is than actual, like, in the last two minutes of a game, one guy just wants it more and just has more heart than another guy. It's just, nah, it's not that. It's just this dude happens to be better and in basketball you know it tends to be like Kobe for a lot of the time was better than most of the guys in the league and just like LeBron is so that's you know that's really what it comes down to yeah Killer Instinct was also just a video game um right yeah right. Uh, <laughs> I've never played it but I know it's a video game and you know you brought up something with the Isaiah thing I thought that was interesting too is like I watched a couple of the segments. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's just, you know, it's a it's a lack of acknowledgement that why they, you know, why they why they had issues, and it's like never it's barely touched upon, and so it makes it a lot more complicated because it's like then it's not really being real because it's sort of a version of the truth rather than a full a full like. 
you know, unabashed, like, clear truth about what happened. And so, I guess for whatever reason they put it in the past, which I guess is good, but at the same time, like, like mm-hmm. you said, like, it's just sort of, like, it leaves you wondering. And it obviously is uncomfortable, whether we talk about Isaiah's situation, we talk about Kobe's stuff. Like, it's uncomfortable for them, obviously, to talk about it because it brings so much, uh, you know, negative aspects from their life, and I understand that. But, like, you know, for us as people viewing, you want to understand, like, you know, deeper beyond that rather than just, oh, it didn't happen, and then you just move on like it never was a, well, yeah. it never was a subject, and I think that's what makes it more complicated. Well, I think that's the thing. People, a lot of people have... More than, yeah, you could say that they don't talk about it, but I think what's even more interesting is people have chosen to ignore it. So, yeah, I guess when, so. Yeah, because I saw a lot of positive reaction about the the uh, conversation that Isaiah and Magic had. But it was something that, like, when I first saw that they were, that NBA TV was doing this special, I had to Google. I was like, what was the, why did they have a falling out? And then I saw it, that it was because of Magic's, you know, HIV situation and yeah. Isaiah saying negative things about, or Magic saying that he heard from other people that Isaiah was saying negative things about him regarding that. You know, that's a serious thing. And so it's like weird that they really wouldn't explain how they, you know, how they got over that. Because just because, like, you, it's a lot to swallow and just say, I'm just going to forgive you for spreading, you know, false rumors about me. and Or, like, did, you know, like, you don't understand the process. Did Isaiah say, yes, I did this, and I'm sorry, behind the scenes, or he's still yeah. stuck to his, no, I didn't say this. And you don't know. Like, you you just don't know. So it's it's really complicated. But I mean, No, it's, it's true. Like, you're right. like, yeah, you're 100% right. It's it, you can't really tell um, what's what, and um, anytime that you have a conversation about um, Isaiah, there's a, like I had said before, it's gonna be always like eh, this guy is like he's still in a prominent position in, on television, and he has so many things in his past, and it's like it's really weird that people just kind of ignore it. Yeah. And, so yeah, so yeah. I mean, like, what you call it? I mean, it's. I mean, for them, it's a good. I, I'm sure it's probably a positive moment because for them to work past it, uh, whatever issues that they have, is a is a good thing. And I guess we can't always know and see every single thing that happens between, uh, you know, whether it's stars or athletes or whatever, and how they, you know, kind of make up from whatever circumstances that they have. And it's like, it's so hard because on one side you want to be like, okay, I want to give people second chances, but then on the other side, it's like, man, second chances for like doing something really horrible, it's like very, it's very difficult. So it, it really puts you in a really difficult position uh, uh, morally, I would say. Word. Well, we talked about some trades. We even talked about current topics going on. Yeah. Like Isaiah and Magic Johnson's little uh, conversation on NBA TV this week and Kobe's mm-hmm. retirement. And Anthony Davis, is he gone? I don't know. Is he gone? I think a lot of people think he is gone. But mm-hmm. this has been the NBA Trades Podcast. Anthony, thank you for joining uh, the NBA Trades Podcast. As always, you could check out Anthony's book. Uh, Andy, tell him a little bit. I remember we talked about it, but it was like two or three months ago. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> I shouldn't have left you. Um, uh, shout out to Selfish, the poetry book available now. It'd be a nice little Christmas gift you could get for your get for your people. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's a very uh, heartfelt book, very human story. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. It's available as an ebook, as an iBook. Um, at all, at all, uh, you can get it there. Thanks for the for the pub. Obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at ac spotlight nine five with an s. Um, and uh, yeah, you can check out my podcast AC Spotlight, which uh, Ralph uh, comes on. Um, we're gonna do probably we're gonna do a little holiday episode. Uh, later this week, which should be fun, and uh, yeah, you could check me out on those uh, platforms. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter NBA underscore trades, where I tweet random things about history. You can also subscribe to the podcast NBA Trades podcast on iTunes, on Google, and what else are we on? Oh, Stitcher, and oh, YouTube too. I started posting the podcast on YouTube, so can always check it out and peace out.